Good morning, church. Open your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter series, Hope in the Dark. This awesome, powerful, encouraging letter from the Apostle Peter where there was such darkness, such persecution, such hopelessness. We need help. We need encouragement. Peter's letter, even though it was written 2,000 years ago, it's, it's written for us today. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, God wants to help us to get to the heart of what's going on because it's not about the circumstances. It's not about what's going on around us because nothing makes us do anything and nobody makes us do anything. God's calling us to respond a certain way no matter what we're going through. Turn to your neighbor and say, no matter what, no matter what's happening, no matter how dark, there is help. There is hope. And so today's message, hope's new attitude. Hope's new attitude as we look at 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Last time when we were together, we looked at the end of chapter 2. The beginning of chapter 3 was about how to live as a missionary, how to live on mission for Jesus in all the different places that you live. What's our attitude towards the government? What is our purpose in the workplace? How about at home? And we looked at being husbands and being wives that live differently, that interact differently, that relate differently because of the gospel. There are gospel attitudes. Everybody say attitude. It's not about just what you do. It's about the attitude behind what you do. And we can slip into religion. We can slip into going through the motions. I'm doing the right stuff, okay? I'm trying. And I wonder if this morning God would say, it's about your heart. It's about the attitude in which you do what you do. And we're going to be looking at a list of some Jesus attitudes. And, and a banner that we could wave over all of this, we could say this, God blesses peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. If you are going to be exceedingly glad and satisfied, if you're going to be filled with joy and purpose, be a peacemaker. How do you respond in your relationships? How do you respond when you don't get your way? What happens when there's conflict in your life? The only things that come out of you are things that were already in you. Because nobody made you angry. Nobody offended you. Your heart chose to get angry. You chose to get offended. Nobody makes you do anything. And Jesus is after our hearts, and specifically this. Attitudes, Jesus' attitudes that change everything. I know that all of us are like, I want my kids to have a new attitude. I want my grandkids to have a new attitude. I want my spouse to have a new attitude. You know what God's after this morning? He's after your attitude. He's not concerned about everybody else's attitude. He wants to change you. He wants to change me. I need a new attitude. Here's a resolution that we could start off with. I will pursue peace with believers and enemies. Those that are part of this church body, other Christians that I know, and even my enemies may i choose peace through what through new attitudes of jesus new attitudes of jesus here's the bottom line as we get started relational peace is rooted in attitudes not actions because you and i both know that we can be pretty good at at doing the right thing on the outside so here's number one if we're going to get into our attitudes this is what peter says finally all of you no one is exempt each one of you have unity of mind that's the first one attitude of unity an attitude of unity if you're going to be new if you're going to be changed if you're going to have hope when it gets hard this is what he says church have an attitude of unity and here's the commitment i will pursue like-mindedness i will pursue like-mindedness can you fit that in the blank i know that's a big one right oh hyphenated words like-mindedness well unity of mind because the gospel changes us the gospel is good news to people that are so radically different from different backgrounds and god brings them all together into a family god's not just saying try to try to play nice on sunday morning he's saying be united be together be all in fully committed you're now on team jesus and that means all the things that divide are of lesser importance and the things that unite us are of the greatest importance so it doesn't matter about your personality it doesn't matter if if you like me it doesn't matter if i like you it doesn't matter if we have nothing in common what unites us is the most important thing if we have jesus we we can be united 
no matter what. That's pretty awesome. Somebody say that's good news. We can be like-minded. We can be like-minded. John 17, I love it. I love it. We don't have time to go through the whole chapter. Just jot this down, okay? If you're taking notes, John 17 is the, the high priestly prayer where we get a little, little glimpse into Jesus' prayer life as he's praying to the Father. You know what he's praying for? You know what he's praying for? Father, may, may they be one just like you and I are one. May they be so close and intimate. May they love. May they be one just like what we experience. Somebody say, wow. That's what Jesus is praying right now. Father, make, make the people that I was slaughtered and killed for, make them one. No matter what divides them, bring them together in unity. That's powerful. Romans 12 16 says this, if you want to jot that down, live in harmony, harmony, live in harmony with one another. Well, how do we do that? Well, Paul in Romans 12 says, here's what not to do. Don't be haughty. Don't be arrogant. So what's a threat to unity? Arrogance, pride, my thing, my way, I know best. And he says this, but associate with the lowly. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that you're, you're better than anybody else. If we're going to be united as a church, if we're going to have a new attitude, here's the call, that we love even the least in our world, in our society, in our culture. You allow those people in your church? You let him in here? Yes, and we love it. The least, the lowest, because Jesus died for them. Who are you to say no where Jesus says yes? Who are you to stiff arm those that God welcomes? Unity. That's where unity comes from. We got to be of the same mind here. Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement. Do you know God like that? <laughs> the God of endurance. He keeps on going. Encouragement. He keeps building up. May he grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Because God is like that. Because God doesn't give up. Because God is an encourager. Because God's speaking life. What do we do? We follow in His ways. We are His mouthpieces. We are His representatives. We're His ambassadors. And therefore, we live in harmony. 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you. And Paul's so passionate in 1 Corinthians. I, I long and I'm calling you out and Please, please, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of you agree, be agreeing in this, that there be no divisions among you. Don't allow it to happen. Hate division. Hate divisiveness. Hate us versus them. Hate clicks. Don't do it, church. But instead, be united in the same mind, in the same judgment as, as Christ. Something's got to change, right? It's got to start with me. Do you know that division is so contagious? A cancer that spreads? Do you know what else is contagious? All it takes is a few people saying, no, we're together. We're united. Do you know how contagious unity can be? It's greater. It's a stronger magnet bringing people together to say, this is what we're for. Not what we're against or who we're against. What we're for. We're together in this. Like-mindedness implies a willingness to conform one's goals, needs, and expectations to the purposes of the greater community and mission. Which means it doesn't matter what I think we should be doing. Let's just go with what Jesus says we should be doing. Let's get around His mission. Forget my thing. What are we doing? I can set my thing aside. I can be pro-team Jesus, even if it means I have to say, that means I'd have to give up some things. I'd have to say no to kind of my strong opinions and my desires for the greater good of God's community. Yeah. It's going to cost us something to be together, to be united. So here's a question that each of us has to ask. Does my character pursue peace with others? I don't know where you're at this morning. If you just take a, an evaluation of how you, how you do in an area of character. Not, not the facade, not what you put on, but who you are consistently. Are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you a young man or young woman of character? 
that you're not two-faced, that you are pursuing God's mission and it's at the heart level and it's on the outside. It's not just an action. It's an attitude. Is that your character? Are you growing in that? Will you pursue an attitude of unity? How about this? Number two, jot this down. Attitude of compassion. Compassion. I'm making a resolution. I will feel for others. What, what does Peter say next? Finally, finally, all of you have unity of mind. And then he says this, have sympathy. Have sympathy. That doesn't just mean that I feel for people that have gone through what I've gone through, but that I, I have a deep-rooted sense of putting myself in their place and I move towards them with compassion. I don't step back in judgment and criticism. Can I, can I pick on some of us? Some of us are, are not big feelers, okay? We don't do the feeling thing. We kind of do the doing thing or we do the, the thinking thing, but we're kind of shribbly in the area of big heartedness. And we just need to be honest about that. Growing up, there was zero toleration for feeling. It doesn't matter what you felt. It matters what you do and what you think. No feeling. Suppress your feelings. Push it down. And here God is saying, if we're going to be just like Jesus and we're going to represent Him, He wants to expand our hearts for each other. He wants to expand what we feel for each other. Compassion. Do you believe that God is a God of compassion? And do you believe that that God wants to slowly morph and mold you to become more and more like Him, to have His heart, even those that are hardest to get along with and hardest to understand, that God's changing, giving you a new attitude. I have a new attitude. I, I used to not care. I used to, be, I used to be so hard. And the closer I'm getting to Jesus, He's making me tender. He's giving me eyes to see things that I used to overlook. Are you experiencing that? Because if you're not, there's a problem. There's a problem that if you can come to church on a regular basis, if you can show up and meet with family or coworkers or go throughout your day and you just walk by everyone and go, I have it harder. I have it harder. They have no idea what I, I'm going through hard stuff. Psh, I don't want to hear about their whiny. They just need to buck up, get through it. Could we say this? That is anti-Christ attitude. It's satanic because that's how Satan feels about us. Let him burn. Let her burn. Don't care at all. But Jesus moved with compassion, lays down his life, compelled to do something about it. Compassion. How about this? As we think about sympathy, let's look at what Paul says about this. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15. Is that you? 1 Corinthians 12, 26. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. Do you feel the unity in that? We're together in this. When somebody is rejoicing that there's a breakthrough and that there is an answer to prayer, we're rallying together. Woo! We're there. We are united in the great victories and the happiness of those that have gone through some hard stuff and they're on the other side. And we also rally together in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief, in the midst of sorrow. Nobody in God's house should be suffering alone. Nobody should be sorrowful and lonely. Do we know what it is to be a sympathetic friend? Listening ear that calls another to trust in God. We talked about this term lament, I think, last year. And to lament, we can do it personally, we can take people there. To lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Sympathy takes us into the hurt, and takes people on the journey to trust in a God that is trustworthy no matter how hard it hurts. For somebody that needs to hear it, maybe today could be the day a new attitude is stop comparing your bad childhood and your heartaches with what the other person that is close to you is going through right now. It's not about you, and it's not in comparison to you. It doesn't matter if what they're going through seems small in comparison to what you're going through or have gone through, sympathy is a brand new attitude that Peter's like, it's got to be there. And it's supernatural. Because for so many of us, our hearts do not go there. Our hearts shut down, are calloused, and they harden because we're arrogant individualists. And the church is something brand new. The church is a team. 
The church is a family. The church comes together in the good and the bad because we forget about ourselves. And we remember we're His. Sympathy. Sympathy. He's like, this is so different. This is so new. Galatians 6.2 When we bear one another's burdens, we're actually fulfilling the law of Christ. That's how serious He is about coming under the crushing weight of life and hurts and heartaches. And we do it together. How about this? Number three, attitude of sacrifice. Ooh, this is going to cost us something. Are you ready? I will love as family. This is a choice. Each individual family member is saying, I will love like we're family because we are. Just hearing that we need to love like we're family, you're going, you mean like my family? You really want me to love like that? Because that'd be a little scary to bring to the church. What we're saying is love like the family is supposed to love. God's design for the family, the beautiful unit of the family, the team that sacrifices and cares and loves one another. Maybe that hasn't been your experience. So welcome to church. You're not alone. You are surrounded with people that are still learning what it means to sacrifice and give and love by faith. Because for some of us, we don't know experientially what that actually looks like or feels like as a family because that wasn't our experience. Can anybody relate with that? We can look back at some of our upbringing and go, I don't know what that looks like. And you know what God's giving you? He's given you a new heart. He's given you a new attitude. He's given you new commands, a new call on your life to do something by faith that maybe you've never received. But do you know what God's calling us to do? He's calling us to do what He's doing for you because He's loving you perfectly. So He's not telling you from a distance. Try to sacrifice and love people. And what, what is the word that Peter uses? He, does, he says this, brotherly love. Some of you know some Greek and you don't even realize it. There's a certain city in Pennsylvania, the city of, it's called, okay, that's Greek. There we go, Philadelphia. There is a brotherly, there is an affectionate family love that we are to have for each other. And it's supernatural. It's brand new. And so all of us, what did, what did Peter say to start this off? He said, each one of you, every single one of you. So none of us can say, except for me, because I don't know how to love like that. I've never been loved, so I don't know how to love. I'm still working through that. And God's like, receive it. I am your father. We just sang good, good father. And he's wanting each one of us to receive and experience a fatherly love, maybe that we never experienced, so that it can overflow that it can be the the life of the church, His love flowing through us, a brotherly love. And as I wrestled through this one, I was just thinking to myself, sometimes, can we get honest? Moment of honesty, can we do that in God's house? Sometimes it's easier to love lost pagans than it is our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes, we show up to church and over the course of weeks and then months and then maybe years, I don't know how new you are to church. For some of us, we're pros. We're old vets, right? We've been doing this for a while. For some, we're newbies, all right? As the noobs come in, guess what we can expect? You are going to get your teeth kicked in and your, your head pounded to the ground and stomped on by those that you thought had your back and loved you most. You will be betrayed by Christians. You will be lied about. You will be gossiped about. Welcome to the family. That's why sometimes it's easier to care and love for those that are lost than to care for God's family, to care for your brothers and sisters. And I don't know if you need to hear this, but I think it's helpful for us to ask the question, do I have a huge heart for unbelievers but a really short fuse with my faith family? We're supposed to be Christians, man. We're supposed to be Christians. Oh, that's real Christian. That's real godly. I'll just say, you wait a little while, and guess what? The roles are going to be flipped. You're going to blow it. You're going to hurt somebody in the family. You're going to be on the other side letting people down. But brotherly love does something that the world doesn't. We stay together. We don't quit. We don't run away. We don't point the fingers and hide. Instead, we dig our heels and we say, we're family. We work through this. We love with a supernatural love because God's changing our attitudes. And I got a new attitude. I'm not going to run and hide. I'm going to stay and I'm going to fight the right fight. I'm going to fight for unity. 
I'm going to fight for sympathy and understanding. I'm going to stay and I'm going to fight. That's what brothers do. There is a love that's different than the world's love. You are not a consumer of church. You are part of the family. So stop running and get your heels planted in and get ready for the ride of being a family because it's hard, but we fight with a new attitude. That's what we do. This is what we do. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's what we do. It's what we do. It's what we do. How about number four? If you're taking notes, attitude of tenderheartedness. A tender heart. Do you see it right there? Peter says, finally, all of you, every single one of you, have this. Unity of mind. What else, Peter? Have this. Sympathy. Have brotherly love. Oh, and Peter says, have a tender heart. A tender heart. Here's a commitment. Here's a resolution we can all make. I will break for the broken. Do you believe that there's some brokenness around you? Do you believe that there's some people that are in a mess because of their own doing? Do you believe that there's people around you that have been victimized, that have been abused and wronged and hurt in ways that they did not deserve? We live in a broken, fallen world. This is what Peter says. Church, every single one of you, all of you, with a tender heart, not a hardened heart, not a calloused heart, not a stiff arm posture towards relationships, not cautious, not careful, not always looking over your shoulder, not that tender heart, literally meaning open it wide up and be vulnerable. Risk it. Have risky relationships in the church, Peter would say. What if I get hurt? You will. What if they don't treat me? They're not going to treat you the way that you deserve or you think you deserve. But you're going to stay with a new attitude. I'm going to stay in a place of tender heartedness. I'm going to get close even when it's risky. I'm going to be willing to be betrayed because I just let my heart out. I let people in and get close. In church, we have a problem because none of us do that by nature. And those of us that are a little more inclined to do that, how many times does it take before you get hurt that that tenderness turns into a hardened heart? Sometimes for, for us, it was just that one time. It was that first time. I stuck my neck out. I was moved with compassion and sympathy. I went in and my heart was overflowing for them and I wanted the best for them and, and I gave and I gave and I gave. And then they, and you got some stories, don't you? How do you rebound from that? How do you keep showing up to relationships with a heart like this? And maybe today you just need to be reminded that's how God treats you every day. When you spit on Him, and ignore him and reject him when you flip him off and say, God, I'm doing my own thing. I'm going my own way. God's heart for you never changes. So how in the world am I supposed to be tenderhearted in such a hardened world, such a society where people use and abuse? Well, here it is. Jesus' attitude can be your attitude if you're following him. So the question is, are you? Are you following a tender-hearted Savior? Do you know He's like that? And are you following close behind, mimicking His heart? I don't know if you need a plan for Bible reading, maybe to get back into the Gospels. If you have not been in the Gospels for a while, I'm back into the Gospels. And as I'm reading through the Gospels, you know what I see on every page? A Jesus that is tender-hearted. He's hanging out with them. He's willing to be used and abused and wronged and lied about and betrayed. He's still willing to serve and give and sacrifice even after he's treated like that. Yes, because his heart wasn't just a good example. His heart is to become our hearts. Are we like that? Are we like that? Tender hearted. And here we go. Just, just to clarify, what is, it, what is a tender heart not? What is it not? Well, here's, here's two things. Here's two extremes. A tender heart is not, hear me, hear me, a tender heart is not critical. A tender heart, you know you don't have a tender heart when it, did you see what they did and they said and I can't believe and what's wrong with me and why didn't they and why would they say that and why'd they make that decision and don't they know? Critical, critical, critical. And they should and when they just, and I don't know if you walked in a critic, but I believe that God is a God of miracles. And maybe today you would just say, I'm done. I quit. I'm so sick and tired 
of my heart being so hard and critical that I can't even hear the voice of God because I have so strayed in my criticism, walking in the flesh, living selfishly. I'm done with that. I quit. I quit. I quit. Somebody say, I quit. I'm done. I quit. You can quit today. Say, I'm not going to be a critic. Well, for some of us who are like, I'm not critical. I just don't give a rip. I just don't care. If you're indifferent to the problems around you, you are not following Jesus. You can't say that you're a Christian and say, not my problem. Not my problem. Not my problem. Not my problem. It is your problem. Because as a family, all of our individual problems and family problems are the church family problems. We're in this together. And you can't just stand back and be a critic and you can't just sit back and be indifferent. There's got to be movement towards God. Change my attitude. Give me a new heart that is tender. That's tender. I want it. Is that, is that you? Will you pursue an attitude of tenderheartedness? How about this? Number five. Number five. Somebody say number five. Woo! We're almost there. We're almost there. You sticking with me? Attitude of humility. What does Peter say? Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I wonder where Peter's getting this. Well, he, he's buddies with Paul and Paul was pretty clear in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, somebody say humility, count others more significant than yourself. Less of you, more of them. Let each of you look not just on your own interests, but on the interests of others. Live that way. Think that way. Paul spent the whole chapter in Philippians 2 of a certain mindset that Jesus had. And he's saying, that mindset needs to be yours. It wasn't just good for Jesus. He's not just a good example of humility. We are called to die to the old attitude of pride and to start growing up in humility. And I don't know where you're at in the journey. And it's really, really hard to even see where there is pride in our life. That's why we need each other, right? I don't know about you, but most of the time when when you've got a brother or a sister in the family of God that happens to open up their mouth and maybe identify something that they hear or see in your life, our first reaction is not thank you so much for exposing the areas of my life where I'm stuck and I'm trapped and I'm selfish and I'm sinful and I'm proud. Have you, have you ever thanked anybody for that? Thank you for calling me out. Instead, what do we do? Oh, uh, oh, you want to go there, do you? Oh, you think I got a problem? You think I got a problem? Let's talk about you. Let's talk about you. Uh, uh, uh. Mind of Christ. Humility. Willingness to receive. Willingness to, to change postures from I got to be on top to I'm going to stay low as a servant. Not my way. God, your, your way. God, I do not demand to be served anymore. That's the old attitude. Now it's different. Humility. I serve. I give. It's not even about me. C.J. Mahaney, if you can pick up any books by C.J. Mahaney, he's got a number of them. Cross-Centered Life or Living the Cross-Centered Life. Awesome, awesome. I just handed it out last week. He wrote a book called Humility. This is what he says. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. And if you have forgotten, God is holy and you are really, really sinful. And so am I. But instead of comparing ourselves to God, we compare ourselves to somebody else. You and I have more in common with Adolf Hitler than we do Jesus Christ. We're more the same than we are different. But it takes humility to get really honest about how bad the situation is, how bad my attitude is, how badly I need change. So will you pursue humility on repeat? And if you do, the growth of abundant spiritual fruit will be evident to everybody. Show me a Christian with no spiritual fruit and I will show you a person not pursuing humility. If you have been going through the motions for months or for years and your life is not changing and you claim to be a Christian, you're arrogant. It's a problem. And God would say, repent. 
If you're not seeing fruit growing on your tree, it's because pride is dominating your root system and humility is going to set you free. Either we choose humility or God will humiliate us. But either way, we're getting low. And God cares too much about us to leave us walking in self-sufficiency and in pride. God saved us to do what? Not to leave us. He saved us to, to change us. To change us. Humility. Such a beautiful mark of this new attitude. How about this? Number six. We're getting there. We're getting there. Number six. Attitude of release. Attitude of release. I will not retaliate. I won't retaliate. Ooh, that's a big resolution, right? I'm going to choose a new attitude, a new lifestyle where I am done retaliating. For many of us, we have at least gone from retaliation outwardly to reel it in, baby. Reel it in. Reel it in, right? I'm going to try to, don't, don't say it. Don't say it. Some of us are making some progress of trying to put the cork on the volcano and, and trying to at least keep it below ground level, okay? For some of you, there, there's no hiding it, okay? But we'll pray for all of us, not just for certain ones, because it's all going on inside of us of, I want to get even, I want to get back. What does Peter say? Could it be any clearer? Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Never answer sin with sin. Never, never, never. Turn your neighbor and say never. Not doing it? Never, never. Don't attack when attacked. Don't do it. Why? Why? Well, Peter already helped us. And if you want to jump back on the podcast, 1 Peter 2, we already preached that message. 1 Peter 2.23, this is what Jesus, as our example, he said, when he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. He didn't do it. When he suffered, he did not threaten back. He continued entrusting. I love that word. Can somebody say that with me? Entrusting. Entrusting. I don't trust in me. I don't trust in my response. I don't trust in my execution of justice. I'm entrusting the situation to God. God, I trust you. I'm bringing it to you. I surrender it to you. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. It's not about me. You're the God of justice. And Jesus, I watch you on every page of the Gospels. And I read your story, Jesus. And what do I see on every page? He did not open his mouth. He did not get even. He did not retaliate. He didn't get back. Oh, he lived the life entrusting himself to who? To God the Father who judges justly. Every time that you retaliate, this is what you're saying. God, I don't trust you. God, you're a terrible judge. I'll take care of it. Every time you bite back and bark back and you retaliate, you're saying, God, thanks, but no thanks. I got this. I'm an awesome God. I will be God right now. I will be the one on the throne. I will be the judge in the courtroom. I'm going to do it. I don't need your help, God. Thank you very much. And we would never say that out loud. But what are we really doing in those moments where we are pushed and we're pressed, where we're Here's our, here's our word in 2023. Every time we're triggered, and every time we're triggered, and I'm just always triggered, and I'm always triggered. What is God calling us to do every time we're triggered? I'm entrusting this to you. I'm entrusting this to you. I'm entrusting this to you. Self, shut up right now. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Walk away. God, I'm dumping it on you. I'm venting on you. I'm not going to get even. I'm going to let you take care of business. And do you know what's so incredibly beautiful? As a pastor, as a counselor, I get, I get a front row seat to a lot of scenarios. There's been somebody that I've been walking with over the past few months. And they're in a situation where things have so escalated between them and a former friend, very, very close friend, feeling so betrayed, so hurt. And guess what they did over the past months in the aftermath of all of that hurt? They went around to all of their friends, venting and venting. Can you believe? And they did this. And I'm so angry. And the further we went into the gospel and the more we got into the scriptures and the more that the Holy Spirit brought conviction, there was finally a surrender. What I've been doing is just as evil as what they did to me. So why do I feel so innocent? And I feel like they should feel so guilty. And there was repentance. So I don't know the last time that you've been with somebody where they just finally broke. Finally said, okay, 
I'm willing to do the hard thing. I'm willing to go to them because they're not going to come to me. That means I need to take the initiative. I need to go first. And guess what they did? They did it. They went first. They started the conversation. And the whole week leading up to that conversation, every sermon listened to, every small group discussion, every passage was just screaming, right? Of, yes, this is the way. This is what you need to be doing. Humble yourself. Confess your sin. Put an end to this. Entrust yourself to me and the situation to me. And this individual said this past week, I got on the phone shaking, talking to this person because I didn't know if I was just going to blurt out all the hurts, everything that they had done. I didn't know if they were going to be defensive. So I was, all, I was prepared. I was just trying to prepare myself. And then God kept saying, no, no, that's not the way. There's a new attitude. There's a new way. And they said, two hours later, getting off the phone, they just wept and wept and wept. And I got on the call right after. Apparently, they had just talked. And I'm like, how'd it go? They're like, we just we spoke the truth to each other. And the Spirit just kept bringing up Scriptures. And we were like, God was already working on them. And God was working on me. And there was reconciliation. And I never believed that this could happen. And I was able to say, this isn't just a one-time thing. Welcome to Team Jesus, where the rest of your life, you get to go first. You get to humble yourself. And you get to choose not to retaliate, not to fight back, but keep getting alone with Jesus and casting it on Him and waiting for His timing and getting into the Word, just asking, is there anything in my life that, that God, you want to take care of first? I'm not innocent here. I'm going to own my part. Retaliation. It's evil. Romans 12, 17, Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. Don't get even. Think about what's honorable. Everybody's watching. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always, somebody say always, oh, what are we always to do? Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Don't you love that? Do you, do you mean like one another, just certain one another's? No, one another and to everyone. That means starting in the church, and then it goes from there to the world. It doesn't matter who it is. Always seek to do good. That's not natural. That's not natural. Turn to your neighbor and say that's not natural. Nobody naturally says, you hurt me. How can I help you? You really, really offended me. How can I pray for you and serve you and do good for you? Nobody does that. <gasps> Except the church. There is this weird group of people and they're always hanging out on Sunday mornings. There is a unique group of people that Peter says are exiles, sojourners. They're not of this world. They're different. They're weird. They don't think like the world. They actually love their enemy. They're humble and kind even when they're hurt, harmed, and wronged. Weird. Weird weird somebody say weird it's super weird it's super weird this is supernatural first corinthians 4 12 we labor working with our own hands when reviled what do we do when reviled and attacked and hurt we bless we bless when persecuted we endure all of this is rooted in jesus himself luke 6 says this bless those who curse you pray for those who abuse you really really bless those who curse you Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. What is he saying? Just let people steal from you, abuse you, and hurt you. Is that what it's saying? When self-defense is necessary, you defend yourself. When someone's trying to steal your stuff, you can pull out your 357, okay? It's an attitude. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of the heart that when people are going to do really hurtful, harmful, stupid things to me. When they go out of their way, there's an attitude. There's a wisdom of how do I display this? How do I show this? That I'm not the same, I'm different. Well, I think some of it has to do with an attitude of forgiveness if we are not going to retaliate. We've said this before. I think it's been a while though. Probably a couple years. Forgiveness is the decision. 
to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. Should I say that again? That's super helpful. Forgiveness is the decision to release a person. Release, release. Not retaliate. Release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. Never is the genuineness of our Christianity so clearly on display when we choose to release and not punish. And we do it again and again and again. Somebody say, and again and again and again. How often are we going to have to do this? And again and again and again. The lost world is watching. And what are they seeing? Are they seeing retaliation? Are they seeing you getting back and attacking with your words and gossiping and slandering because they destroyed my reputation? I'm going to destroy their reputation. There's a new attitude in God's house. It's an attitude of release. I release you. I release you. I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs. I'm going to release. How about this? Number seven. Lastly, number seven, attitude of blessing. I will respond with grace. Somebody say grace. Oh, love this. I'm going to bless. I'm going to pour out grace. This is so supernatural. This is not the normal old way. This is a new attitude. Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but, but, somebody say but. Here we go. On the contrary, bless, bless. Turn your neighbor and say bless, bless, bless. For to this you were called. Anybody asking, what, what's my purpose in life? What's my calling? Here's what you've been called to. You've been called to bless that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue, uh-oh, keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil. Repent, repent, turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace. That's so awesome. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Like a hunting hound dog, on, seeking, 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 found it! Go, 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 go. I'm seeking it. I'm pursuing it. I'm seeking it. I'm pursuing it. What are you going after? This is what God's people go after. Where can I bring peace? Where can I bring blessing? Where can I pour out grace? I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm scanning. I'm scanning. Go! It's time. And I wonder if this week you're going to be looking for opportunities. Where is their conflict? Where are things unresolved? I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to be the one to initiate it. I'm going to be the one to pursue peace. I'm not going to wait for them. Not waiting for them. Not waiting for them. They're not coming. They're not coming. That's because God's telling you to go and you're sitting on your butt saying they need to come to me. Those days are over. That's so old. Somebody say that's old. That is so lame. There's a new way and a new attitude and it's going to seek peace and to be a blessing. This is so awesome that you, you can hear all week long. Maybe you need to write this down and just say this to yourself. Sinners need more Jesus, not more sin. The sinners in my life need more Jesus, not more sin. I, as a sinner, need more Jesus, not more sin. When people sin against me, they need Jesus. They don't need more sin. They need to see Jesus in me. They need to receive His blessing and His grace. They need Jesus. So would you be a sin cycle breaker, not maker, starting today? I'm going to end the cycle. I'm going to break it. I'm not going to continue it. I'm going to go forward different. I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless. Luke 6, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Don't get even. So do I pursue peace when faced with sin? Is that your response? When I'm faced with sin, when I'm faced with hurt, when I'm faced with being offended, I think some of us, we, we've talked about this over the years. What if we were a church that quit getting offended? What if we just said, I'm not going to get offended anymore. There was a point in my life that I was challenged about always being sensitive and always being offended and looking. It's almost like we scan for it. Where is somebody going to hurt me? Where can I look for offense? Oh, they said that. Oh, they didn't pick me for the team. Oh, why, did, why are we on the hunt to get hurt when we should be on the hunt to make peace? And it's because we're choosing, I'm a victim. And so everybody is just a perpetrator. And I'm, I'm going to be offended all the time. Every word that they say, every comment they make, I'm just going to get hurt. What if you quit today? That would be awesome, right? In 2004, I chose to not be offended ever again. I just said, I'm not going to live a life where I'm constantly offended. And everybody keeps, Pastor John, I don't want to be offensive. Or I think that was probably offensive. And I can say, I quit. I quit being offended. It doesn't offend me. It doesn't hurt me. Because I'm going to make a choice. 
when the pain rises up and the retaliation and the vengeance boils, I go, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not a victim. Jesus was the only victim. And he's a conqueror, and I'm with him. He's the one that overcame, and I'm with him. I'm not going to be offended anymore. I'm not going to live based on what people say about me or think about me anymore. It's a choice. I'm going to choose no more retaliation, no more getting back. I'm going to choose to bless people that are really, really nasty to me. I'm done. So what does it mean to bless someone? Here's just three. Here's takeaways for this week. What if starting today, the people that are hardest to get along with, the people in your life, do you know them? Do you have a name? I'll give you a second, okay? Just if you need to close your eyes. For some of us, we have a whole showcase of perpetrators in our lives, people that hurt us, wronged us, right? You don't have just one person. You have like 18, and you really, really want to talk about them to everybody else. And what if today you could say, I'm going to choose to bless. I'm going to choose to bless. How, how in the world am I supposed to bless somebody that has treated me like dirt, that has wronged me, betrayed me? How about this? Speak well of them. Speak well of them. Don't speak well of their sin. Just speak well of them because they're an image bearer. They're made in the image of God. How dare I speak negatively about somebody that's created in the image of God. And if they're going to hell, God wants to use me to see that their future eternity is heaven. And I can't do that if I'm not blessing them. Speak well of them. How about this? Love intentionally. Like go out of your way to actually love them. Uh, here, here's a hard one. Well, what if the person that has hurt me the most, like I'm married to, then it looks like you going first to love them intentionally. What if the person that I have the hardest time with, I'm related to in some way. That means family reunions or phone calls might sound different that you're speaking well and that you're intentionally loving them that I would pray goodness. God bring goodness their way. But they don't deserve it. Neither do you. And what has God brought your way? Goodness. Isn't that awesome? We were enemies of God and blessing came our way. When we hated God and ignored Him, He came after us to bring goodness to us. And all Jesus is saying is, go do the same. Go do the same. Be like me. It's impossible apart from the Spirit, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God to do the impossible. So why do I do all this? Why, why do I go out of my way? Because, because I'm right with God. And here's what we have lastly. Somebody say, land the plane. Here we go. If you're taking notes, number two, I pursue peace with God through new power. Somebody say power. I pursue peace with God through new power of Jesus. It's Jesus' power. What does verse 12 say? For the eye of the Lord is on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So could we say this as we finish up? First, make peace with God through Christ. Do you have peace? Are you at peace with God? Not I hope so, not I think so, but you don't have to leave here without saying, I know so. I have full confidence that there is peace between God and I. And it's not because of my works. It's not because of anything I've done. It's all grace. Grace has given me peace with God. The finished work of Jesus on the cross, not my works, His works, has brought peace. Do you have peace with God? That's a, I think that's a really good question to ask. Am I at peace with God? You don't have to wait till you're in the hospital on your deathbed. You can say, today I need to know, am I at peace with God? I need to know. I need to settle it. I need to settle it. Do I have peace with God? Because if I do, then peace will flow from, from your hearts onto others. And here's what, what Peter is emphasizing. He's asking, and if he, do I have peace with God? Well, here's, here's what he's talking about with evil. <laughs> do you do evil? Because God's saying this, the face of the Lord is against, against those who do evil. What evil? What evil, you ask? What evil? He just got done walking through a number of scriptures saying, here's what to do. So the evil he's talking about is rejecting the call that's on our life, saying no to these attitudes. So what would evil look like? How would we know that I don't have peace with God? In fact, I'm, I'm at odds with God. Here's a few just from this text holding grudges, getting even, avoiding reconciliation, running away from conflict instead of resolving it, holding on to bitterness, unforgiveness, slandering the reputation of others, refusing to seek peace, continuing to complain and gossip about others. Peter would say evil, 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 evil. 
There is no peace with God when your attitude is evident in your relationships day after day, week after week, like this. But God blesses peacemakers. And God is against hurt hoarders. Is that you? Do you hoard hurts? Are you able to recite all the ways like a, like a collection of all of your little snow globes on the shelf or your little foo-foo objects that over the past years you've collected, do you have a full collection of, look at what I've been hoarding and collecting. When I was 11, they did that to me. And then by the time I was in high school, oh, I remember what she did to me. And then by the time I was a young adult, oh, that's a long list. There's a lot of hurts. I was betrayed. I was lied about. He hurt me. She hurt me. Are you hoarding all of the things from the past or are you a peacemaker because you've been set free? Because if you're not at peace with people, if you're not at peace with people, you're not at peace with God. If you're not at peace with God, it's going to show up that you have continual broken relationships, unresolved, as far as it's up to you. As far as it's up to you. Everybody tracking with me? There are things that are outside your control that you do not have the ability to reconcile. Does anybody have a situation like that? What if that person, whoever that person is for you, what if they walked into church? Is there any individual that could walk in on a Sunday morning and that you would say, I am not going to stay here. I am not going to be part of a church where that person is here. That's evil. If there's a single person that could walk into this room and that you are not prepared, your heart's not prepared to go up to them and say, I want us to be right. And I'm going to own my part. Even if it's 5% of the problem, 1%, I'm just going to own my little bit. And maybe your little bit is just the way I responded to what you did to me was wrong. If you're not ready to forgive, if you're not ready to be at peace with all people, then if I were you, I wouldn't leave this room. 